Thank you, Pastor. I love you. Love you. Good morning. All right. So I'll try to follow that up and not disappoint anybody. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I, I just want to pray for myself, and if you would, pray for me. And uh, we're going to dive right into the Word today. Amen. Father God, I just uh, present myself before you, Lord. I'm a flawed and wretched man, but uh, I know nothing good comes from me, Lord, so I ask that you empty me of myself and fill me with you, that I may bring glory to your name, that we would leave here knowing that we heard from you, Father. We love you, God. We dedicate this time to you, Father. We ask that you prepare our hearts and prepare our ears to receive what you have for us today, Lord. Let me not get in the way of that, Father, Lord. Please just anoint me with your spirit and bring clarity to your word. We love you, Lord. Amen. So as Pastor John already stated, uh, I'll be following up in the same line of thought as the last time I got to speak uh, on the confidence of the believer. So if you're taking notes, this could be the confidence of the believer part two. Uh, the subheading would be God is still dot, dot, dot. Is that better? We good? I, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I have no idea what things sound like. So I, I got to have help from people that have an ear for that. <clears throat> Last time we talked about the confidence of the believer, we talked about the confidence being a personal confidence. We develop our own faith and our own confidence in the Lord. We don't get to borrow it from someone else. There will come a day when all of us stand before the Lord naked and alone. And our confidence, your confidence, your faith is all that's there. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the only covering you have. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a church home and your mom prayed good and your grandma prayed good and you love that song that you had a praying grandmother. That won't matter. It's your confidence. It's personal. It is a singular confidence. Our confidence is in Christ alone. His life, his ministry, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. He conquered death. And he rose again that we may have life with him. Amen. It is an eternal confidence. Our confidence rests in the eternal hope that Christ is who he says he is, that he is coming back just like he said he will, that he is going to take this weak and mortal body and make it a glorified one like his. He's going to do away with this, and I will be with him, and so shall it ever be. That is my eternal confidence. That is why the problems of today do not bear the impact that they would if I didn't have that confidence. The confidence of the believer is built on the foundation of Christ, and it is bolstered by the fact that God is still. You know, my thoughts have been heavy on preparation sometimes. Be in the truth. Be in the word. Be prepared for persecution. Be prepared. Be prepared. And my thoughts are heavy of what may come. But also my confidence is not shaken. A brother pulled me aside the other day and he reminded me that God is still. God is still. And that just resonated with me. And that stirred in me. I'm not going to give you my whole sermon right now, but there's more points to it. God is still. 
right? God is still who he said he is, who he says he is. God is still the God that blessed Abraham and Sarah with Isaac long after that should have been possible. That was not possible, but God did, and he is still. God is still the God that delivered Joseph out of all his afflictions, Now, Genesis, that's covered in about 10 chapters, 37 through 47. And then Stephen, when he's given his sermon to the Sanhedrin, he addresses that in like 23 words, like a sentence, all right? When Stephen is covering these events that are addressed in 10 chapters of Genesis, in Acts 7, 9, and 10, he says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions. I mean, that's concise. I feel like if I'm Joseph in heaven, like, bro, you just summed that up in like one sentence. No, like my brothers hated me. They made fun of me. They threw me in a cistern. They left me there to die. They were going to kill me. Got talked out of killing me, sold me into slavery, went to Egypt, got sold into slavery, picked up by Potiphar, ran his house for a while. His wife's a liar, got thrown in jail. Thank you very much. Ran the prison for a while. Next thing you know, dudes come with bad dreams. I give them a bone. Don't forget me, please. Two years later, they forgot all about me, still sitting in prison. Rats here, they, they're, they're not nice. It's dank, it's dank, you know. And, and you just hit that with, you know, they sold me into Egypt, but God was with me and rescued me out of all the afflictions. Yes, because the point is not Joseph. The point is God. The point is he remained submitted to God. The point is God delivered him out of them all. God is still the God that broke the foundation of the prison at Philippi. God is still. God will remain. God will be for all eternity. God is our hope. God is our confidence, believer. We bury into that, that God is still. When we face hardships, when we face persecution in the West, when we face whatever life hands to us, the diagnosis, the issue, the problem, be encouraged and be reminded that God is still. Remember who God is. Remember that he needs absolutely nothing to do absolutely anything and everything that he wills. When he created the world, he did not step out onto space dust and start pulling it together. It says he stepped out onto nothing, zero things. What did he have to work with? Zero things. What does God need you to do for him to be able to work? Submit to him and zero things. The confidence of the believer is strengthened by reminding ourselves that Christ will not leave us or forsake us. And he is the same yesterday today, and forever. Christ is the same. God is still. Why am I so confident in these truths? I'm confident because I believe the word of God. I hold a high value of scripture. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And in the word of God, as I'm reading and studying, I find in Hebrews chapter 13, in verses 5 through 8 in the ESV, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who said that? God said that. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now that's a loaded question. What can man do to me? Think about it. Seriously, what can man do to me? Take away my health care, take away my paycheck, take away my car, take away my land, take away my comfort, take away my wellness. Could beat me, torture me, imprison me. But that's all to the body. So what can man do to me if God promises me that he will never leave me nor forsake me? And I can confidently say that the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me when I really hold on to the first part of that? He can't threaten me. can't shut me up. You can't hold me down. Why? Because my faith is not in what I see right here. My faith is not in this world. My faith is in an everlasting, infinite, glorious, thrice holy God. And he told me that he will never leave me or forsake me, that he is my helper, and that I have no reason to fear. Does that mean I'm going to be comfortable and happy all my days? A cursory understanding of the first century church leads to a resounding no. The men that laid the foundation for the first century church did not have a comfortable life. They did not live their best life now. They did not reflect on themselves and think of what a masterpiece they were. They poured their life out for the others and for God in full submission to the Holy Spirit. Remember your leaders in verse 7. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If I can be an imitator of the faith that I read in Scripture when I read of Peter and Paul and the lesser-known Philip and James, then I'm confident that I'm walking my life in submission to God, in submission to the Holy Spirit, and I will have all that I need, whether I base or abound. I will have all that I need. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in verse 8. So I submit to you today the confidence of the believer, part two. God is still. Number one, God is still the God that opens closed wombs. I was continually led to 1 Samuel this week. I read in the full confession. I read in the New Testament a lot more than I do in the Old Testament. But I, I just 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. So I started listening to it on my Bible app. I was like, what is it, Lord? What is it there? I'm listening to it. I'm reading it over and over again. What is it? What, do you, what, what, is, what am I to share? He is the God. He is still the God that opens closed wombs. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 4 through 7, it says, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Some of us are walking in a similar path right now. Some of us can relate to Hannah. Lord, why did you close this womb? Why does the world get to sit back and mock me? 
Why do they get to think, have the things that I, that I long for? Why, why this person that just wants to irritate me and mock me and make fun of me? Why does she have all these kids and I'm barren? Elkanah loved Hannah greatly, but she, but she was grieved by her closed womb. He would say, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And she was like, I can't eat. I can't drink. I can't sleep. I'm grieved. I'm gutted. I want to be a mother. I'm no authority on this. But through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I hope to bring clarity to this for us as a body of believers. She wanted to be a mother. And she was constantly reminded that she was not a mother because somebody else flaunted it in her face. She couldn't change her situation, and it brought her a bunch of sorrow and great pain. She was gutted. But when we read on in 1 Samuel, and we come to chapter 1, verses 10 through 15, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly and vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. God, I don't even have to keep it. I just, I want to have it and I'll give it right back to you. This is the cry of her heart. And as she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah, she is speaking in her heart, but only her lips are moving, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, the priest of the temple, took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli says to her as he sits on the post of the temple, How long are you going to go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am, not a, I am, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Hannah is weeping bitterly, crying out to God, fulfill the desires of my heart, Lord, and I'll give it right back to you. And we read previously that the Lord closed her womb. Why, God? Do you ever find yourselves asking, why, God? You couldn't handle the answer. Like old Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. You wouldn't be able to get it. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. So far the heavens above the earth there. His thoughts and his ways above yours. Even if he took the time to explain himself to you, which he doesn't know you, you wouldn't be able to grasp it. Read Job. God never explained why to anybody. Even Job, when he finally was like, why, God? He was like, oh, well, come down here, Job. Come up here. Sit, sit right here. Tell me how you formed the whole world, Job. Tell me how you gushed forth the waters and drew the boundaries and they would go no further. Sh tell me, show me, surely then I'll explain everything to you. Because then you're God, right? And I'm, and I'm Job. I owe you an explanation at that point. Don't get it mistaken. God doesn't owe us an explanation. And if he gave it to us, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Because his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. So when we read, the Lord closed her womb, why would you do that, God? Well, do I owe you that explanation? Because she was going to go on to birth Samuel, who was going to be the priest, the prophet, and the judge of Israel, up until the point he anointed Saul. And then he would serve Saul as a prophet. But Hannah wept bitterly. She's gutted and hurt. 
All she could do was cry out to God. Reminds me of blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10.46. The blind man sitting on the side of the road, and he heard that Jesus was coming. The Jesus of Nazareth was coming, and he's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody's like, shh, be quiet. No! I'm crying out to God right now. You can see. I can't see. I need God. He's the only one that can help me. When Hannah cried out, God was the only one that could help her. When you cry out, when you find yourself in that place, God is the only one that can help you. And let me encourage you today to believe that God is still. God is still the God that opened Hannah's womb. Even a priest mistook her passion and her pouring out her heart for drunken babblings. You're not going to be understood. You're not looking for the approval of man. You don't stand before the judges of men for all eternity. You stand before God. You cry out to God. In 1 Samuel 1, 19 and 20, they rose early in the morning. That's Alcanah's family, Alcana's family. <clears throat> they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Now, underline this part if you're following along in your Bible. In due time. God ain't worried about your schedule. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hold on to that, believer. And all the craziness that we see going on in the world... And all the problems that we face in our personal lives, the frustrations, the desperations, the depressions, God is still the God that opens closed wombs. And in due time, Hannah conceived. And it was not according to her schedule. It was not according to her plan. It did not go the way Hannah would have designed it. It went the way God designed it. And Samuel was dedicated, and as soon as he was weaned, he was brought up to the temple, and he rose to be a man of influence, a prophet, a great man for the nation of Israel. Would she have made that vow if she was able to easily conceive? God is still the God that opens closed wombs. He is faithful to his word, and he is faithful in all things. We can trust God with everything because he needs nothing to do absolutely anything and everything. If there were doctors in that time, they would have said, Hannah, there's no hope. We can try like some sort of in vitro fertilization or something, but you're not going to have a child of your own. There's no hope for you. Your womb is dead. And God said, of no consequence to me. I made all this. Boom. He needs nothing. Time out. Pause. I'm sorry. That that going to be better? I think so. Looking good. For all you people online, that's my father in the Lord. There's nothing weird about that. He's just helping me sound more better. There we go. 
this one person here to worship the Lord. <laughs> there are different types of closed wombs. Not all of them are literal. There are those. Literal wombs of women that want to conceive and are closed. There's some that pray for a family member that has hardened their heart to God. And they feel like they're praying against a barren and closed womb. Let me encourage you in that. Keep praying. Keep standing in the gap. Keep interceding for them. My family watched me be a knucklehead for over 20 years and stood in the gap and prayed for me. Full-on knucklehead. That's a different sermon. There are marriages that have grown cold and distant, and you find yourself before God. Why? It wasn't supposed to be this way. Why? Why is this womb closing? Why is something that brought forth life not producing life? Take heart. God is still the God that opens wombs. He is still the God that answers prayers. What do we do as believers? We remain confident that God is still. God is still the God that opens closed wombs. He is the God that brings life forth from dead wombs, brings life forth from dead places. He is our God. He is our confidence. He needs nothing to do everything. Number two this morning. He is the God that provides in the wilderness. He provided water. He provided manna. He provided quail. Turned bitter water sweet. All of this he did in the wilderness. I would love to see some of today's top scientists in their field take a water sample before and after. And it's like, well, according to the microscopic analysis of this water is composed of da 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 And there's no hope for it. Boom. Take a new sample. It's not the same water. God doesn't need anything to do everything. He provided water, manna, and quail in the wilderness for the Israelites. And them some knuckleheads too. Read their story. And if you're like, wow, these people are stupid, look back over your life and you'll be like, man. You'll read the, you'll read the Old Testament and the story of Genesis and Exodus and you'll be like, why don't they ever learn? And then God will be like, mm-hmm. I don't know, tell me. Elijah was fed by a brook. In 1 Kings 17, there's a famine, and God sends Elijah to live by a brook. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and at night, and he drank from the brook. I've never seen a raven drop somebody food off. Has anybody else? What do you call somebody that's a bird watcher? I don't know the technical term. Any of y'all ever catch a raven just come by and drop a snack off in another bird's nest? Special delivery. It's here for you. God doesn't need anything. He can do everything. He can provide in the wilderness. He can make a rock fall a year around and bring forth water. Think about that for a while. I mean, can you imagine being the Israelites and like, man, we have to leave. 
this rock sure was nice to have. And you're walking off, and you turn around, and there's the rock. Now, I feel like we don't walk five miles, but the rock is still right there. Anybody else seeing this? God is still the God that provides in the wilderness. He didn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, believer. And there your confidence is bolstered and rooted and grounded and you become unshakable and ungovernable by man because you serve God. And judge amongst yourselves that it is right for us to obey man or obey God. We obey God. As Pastor John said this morning, I'm not giving Jesus up for anything. No relationship, no special treatment, no comfort, no job, no money, no car, no land, no nothing. You can have it all because it's all going to, I'm not fighting you over a tinsel crown when my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, when he takes me from glory to glory, when he refines me like a fine metal through fire. I am not giving that up for a tinsel crown, for dustings, for what will be consumed by fire. I will not. I will not. I'm grounded on the fact that God is still Everything he ever was. The brook dried up. Sometimes God's provision changes. Elijah's sitting there having airmail, Grubhub, what is it, DoorDash? Raven DoorDash, dropping them off meals morning and night, sitting by a brook. The brook dries up. He's like, go over here to this other town, talk to this woman. So Elijah goes over there and he says, hey, I'm thirsty and I want a piece of cake. And she was like, perfect timing. I was just about to eat my last piece and die with my boy. And he said, okay, well, before that, just make me a little cake and bring me some, something to drink. And she does in obedience. And that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil did not run out. These things don't happen. These things are metaphysically impossible. When you look at the temporal facts, they are impossible. When you say, there's a drought, and I'm living by a brook, and there's no food, it is impossible that a raven shows up and drops you off food twice a day. That doesn't make sense. That's not a thing. Rocks don't follow you through the desert when you're thirsty. That's not a thing. A, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil don't last forever. That's not a thing. So what do we observe and learn through all of that? That God doesn't need anything to provide you with everything that you need. God is still. He's still. Today, believer, in your life, he is the God that opens closed wombs. He is the God that provides in the wilderness. He is the God that ministers to you when you're all alone and nobody understands and you can't talk to anyone and you're ate up. He's the God that comforts you. He's the God that's there for you. He's the God that is not bound by the things that make sense to us or the things that we can measure in observable fact in our temporal lives. He is not limited.
God is still the God that provides when there is no way. Because he needs absolutely nothing to do everything. I'm going to share a story with you that my other mother, that's what I call Miss Sandra, that's John's, John's mom, that's my other mother. I love her. She told me a story one time about how Roger, her husband at the time, was preaching. They were in a little parsonage, and there was no food in the house. And the Holy Spirit moved and said, warm up the grease in the skillet. She said, for what? But okay. And she warms up the grease, and she's sitting there, and before it boils, there's a knock at the door. And there's a man there hiding his face and holding a bag of breaded chicken. And it's like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but my wife told me to bring this here, so I'm bringing it. Just in time. God is never, or seldom early, but he is never late. The grease had not boiled in the pan yet. In obedience, moving forward in faith, God provides. There wasn't a way. There was no food in the house. God provides. He will provide in your life the same way. It doesn't mean you get to live your best life now. It doesn't mean you get to escape affliction. It rains on the righteous and the unjust just alike. Okay? Pastor John said, when gas hits $5 a gallon, we all paying $5 a gallon. All the V8s, the market going to fall out. Just so you looking for a truck, wait a little while. Okay? When gas hits $5 a gallon, you get that jerker cheap. Get you a Wish.com deal. God doesn't need anything. And he proves himself to us over and over and over again so that we can stand on that confidence and we can look the world in their face and say, you have come too late to tell me that my God is not worthy of my faith, that my God has brought me here to let me down. You have come too late to tell me that my faith is in vain. You have come too late to tell me that I need to be more concerned about the bank account here on earth than I do my account in heaven. You have come too late to tell me that I need to prioritize my temporal life over my eternal being with God. You have come too late. Because my God is still, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still the God that opened Hannah's womb. And he's still the God that provided in the wilderness. He's still the God that walked with Elisha. He's still the God that came down in a double portion and the mantle covered Elisha. He is still that God. He's still the God that delivers from prison. Number three. He is still the God that delivers from prison. Alicia, or our musician, if you would come, please. He's the God that delivers from prison. In Acts chapter 5, 18 through 21, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the, the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Tell me that's not confusing if you're an apostle. I'm in the temple, I'm preaching, I got arrested. I'm in the prison. Here comes the angel of the Lord, opens the doors, takes me out in the middle of the night. And he says, all right, go back to the temple and preach more. I'm like, well, you just, you know, like, they arrest me for that and then you deliver me from that, but now you're sending me back to that. 
Okay. Don't ask why. It'll. You can't handle it. You won't know why. Even if he took the time to explain it to you, I'm telling you, you won't. It will do you no good. It'd be like if I ask somebody why and they start speaking in French. I'm just like, I don't know what any of that means. Our job is to submit to him and trust in him. And that's what the apostles did. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the sin of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And that's an awkward job for the dude that comes back like, they're not there. Like, what do you mean they're not there? Well, the door was locked, the guards are there, they're not. Where are they? And the other guy's like, excuse me? I just heard they're preaching in the temple again. You mean these dudes pulled the great escape out of Alcatraz to go right back to doing what they were doing in plain sight so we can arrest them again? In Acts 12, Peter's escorted out of prison again by the angel of the Lord. Now Herod's had James gutted, killed him with the sword. Prison, he's like, we're going to, oh, that made y'all happy? We're killing Peter tomorrow. Good deal. You know what Peter was doing? Sleeping in between soldiers. And you know why I didn't know he was sleeping? Because the angel of the Lord had to wake him up. They're like, we're going to kill you tomorrow. He's like, who? I mean, that's, that's our confidence, believer. He's the same God. He is still that God. The angel of the Lord hits him on the side, wakes him up, says, come with me. Peter thinks he's dreaming. He's like, man, one good dream before we go to heaven. It's my last ride. I'm getting out of prison in a dream. So, so he's let out and then realizes, I'm really out. <laughs> right on. I'm getting out of here this time. Because the Holy Spirit didn't say nothing about going back to the temple and preaching, so I'm just going to go ahead and roll out. It goes to the house of Mark's mother, where they're praying for his deliverance, and knocks on the door and says, hey, it's Peter. They're like, nah, man, Peter's in jail. We're praying for him now. He's like, no, no, really, it's Peter. The serving girl's like, I, I'm, I'm getting pranked. Where's Aston Kutcher? I'm getting pranked right now. She goes in and is like, excuse me, I hate to interrupt your meeting, but the thing you're praying for is answered like he's at the door. <laughs> he's like, encourage the brethren. Got to roll out. And he goes out and he preaches the word of God. And he's confident in the fact that God is still. Because God has moved in his life. And God has moved in your life if you're sitting here today. If you profess the name of Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But you were quickened by the Holy Spirit and brought to new life. Paul was delivered from a prison in Philippi. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. These are men in the inner dungeon, shackled, hands and feet, bloodied and beaten and bruised, backs torn open. And what do they decide to do? I'm going to worship. I don't know what you came to do, but I came to worship. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. And I'm going to exalt the one that made it all. I'm going to worship. Shackled and beaten. I'm going to worship. They sing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He supposed the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
what the heck? Why did they stay? The presence of the Lord is there. And we've already seen what God can do to the prison and the shackles. And I'm not scared of them because my confidence rests on God because He is still. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. He's trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because I can tell the God that you serve is different. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. He takes them home. He cleans their wounds. They minister to the household. The household comes to faith and they're baptized. Paul was put in prison. And God opened the door. Not only of the prison, he opened the door for a jailer to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. Don't be scared of what the world can do to you. Don't you be scared of these times. You stand on that confidence. You stand on your personal confidence, your singular confidence, and your eternal confidence. You bolster that confidence with the fact that God is still. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still the God that opens closed wounds. He is still the God that feeds you in the wilderness. And he is still the God that breaks the foundations of prisons. He is our God. Whatever prison you face is not greater than the deliverance found in Christ Jesus. God needs absolutely nothing to do everything. God is still. He is still the God of the Bible. He is still the God that provides for you. He is still the God that has the numbers of your head on your head numbered. He is still the God that knew you before he knit you in your mother's womb. He is still the God that has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He is still the God that is coming back to receive you unto himself because he has gone to prepare a place for you. And if he has gone to prepare a place for you and me, then he is coming back to receive us unto himself so that where he is, there we may be also. That is our faith, believer. That is our faith. He delivers from every prison all those that call upon his name and place their complete faith on his son, Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. God is still the God that heals the sick. He is the Lord that heals us. If the elders would come forward and prepare, I'll have Pastor John come up. If you have any need in your body, don't let something cheat you out of coming down here for prayer. Don't, well, mine's not that big. Mine's not that significant. It's not that big a deal. If you have a need, we're opening the altars with the elders present in biblical fashion to pray a, pray, a prayer of faith. Thank you, Jason. We're going to take moment now to respond to the word of God. There's no wound so deep that God can't heal it. There's no wilderness so barren that God can't meet us there. And there's no prison gates so tight that God can't deliver. What I'd like to do
is we're just going to call on the name of the Lord and follow Scripture. If those in the three categories primarily, if you want to respond to the Word of God in front of Him and say, Lord, you are still this to me. I want you just to come and kneel here. And those that are sick in your body or if you're standing with someone that's or for someone that's sick in their body, guys, we have oil here, here. If one of our elders, oh, they're here. And if you need someone to pray the prayer of faith with you, I want you just to come right now, quickly. Come on. Any physical ailment, he's still the Lord that heals us. elders are going to pray a simple prayer of faith over you in his name in his name saints would you do this would you participate now where you're seated even if you don't know them you say lord the lady there in the striped shirt i just agree and i pray for her this morning would you pray all over this building
Church family, would you stand with us? Our elders are going to continue to pray. And there will be those that want to come after everyone's gone. I prayed for one this morning, and I just I think we can all identify with this. Lord, I, I'm not, I don't deserve you to do this for me. Correct theology. We don't come to you based on who we are, oh Lord. We come to you based on who you are. The Lord that heals us. Those that receive prayer today, before we go home, let me just tell you this. According to scripture and the experience we have as believers, sometimes it's instantaneous. You know, eyes open. I have watched with my eyes a little uh, girl's ears open for the first time. And she wept. And mom, you think mamas would know, right? Mamas would know. And they just wept and thanked the Lord. And then there were others in the Bible, they said, and on their way to show the priest, healing came. Here's what you leave saying. I know this, that he invited me to pray. The elders prayed the prayer of faith. And his will is going to be done in my body. Amen? You believe that this morning? So, Lord, as we go out from this house, we thank you that the children's bread, the healing of our body is available through Jesus Christ the Lord. Jason said it this morning, everything we have is available through Jesus Christ the Lord. Ain't no disease, no infirmity, no malady, nothing that's outside of your touch and power. Let the reports come flooding in this week, Lord. Not for the glory of this house, but your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you do me a courtesy, or us a courtesy today, would you? We're a very social church. We like each other. That's a wonderful thing. Would you just quietly exit while they pray? And anyone else that desires prayer for your physical bodies, if you would make your way down as well.